For these next two weeks, we are at the point of the year when the church is the most out of sync with American culture. Today, we begin a new liturgical year. We're exploring the Gospel of Mark, which I'm sure you know is my favorite gospel. And though we're still recovering from tryptophan comas from Thanksgiving, Jesus tells us today to stay awake. We also begin today the season of Advent, the season of joyful anticipation of Christ breaking into our world. But it's kind of hard once you step outside this building where you hear Christmas music and you see Christmas decorations and Christmas advertising everywhere. Nevertheless, Advent is a truly beautiful season. God is ever faithful, is symbolized in the roundness of the wreath and in the evergreens. Okay, yeah, they're artificial, but you get the idea. We can trust that God will fulfill his promises. So friends, let us try for at least the next hour to stop thinking about final exams, shopping lists, and Christmas parties. Let's sit in the dimmed light and relish waiting for momentous things to happen. Most of you know my shtick, that each of the four Gospels is my favorite Gospel. Tonight I'll tell you how that came to be. For most of Christian history, Mark was the least favored Gospel. It's shorter than the others, there's not much in it that's not also in Matthew or Luke. And for centuries, Christians thought that Mark was just a Reader's Digest version of Matthew. That Mark took key stories from Matthew, told them more concisely, got some of the details wrong, and used really bad Greek grammar. But in the past several centuries, we have come to realize that we had it completely backwards. Mark was the first gospel written. Matthew and Luke get most of their material from Mark. It was Mark who, as the first generation of Christians were beginning to die, decided that the story of Jesus Christ needed to be written down so that all of us would know the story. I knew all that before I went into the seminary, but still, as a novice, I was not a big fan of the Gospel of Mark. But two things happened in quick succession to change my mind. The first was in January, I took a week-long course offered by the Overseas Ministry Study Center in New Haven, Connecticut, given by the Methodist missiologist Daryl Whiteman. He argued, if you're going to introduce someone to Jesus Christ and the Christian faith, you don't start with John chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's too confusing, too metaphorical. You start with Mark. This is who Jesus was. This is what he did. This is what he said. The second thing was the next month, I moved for Lent to Berkeley, California. And there I was working with a number of priests, and there was a newly ordained Paulist priest named Charlie Donahue. And he preached that Mark was his favorite gospel because it's short and to the point. There's no commentary. It's left to us to interpret what Jesus meant and what he said, and what he means to us. So that's sort of when I felt challenged to embrace the brilliance of each of the Gospels. And that's why Mark is my favorite Gospel. It tells the essentials of Jesus' story. 
which are the essentials of our story as Christians. And despite its brevity and bad grammar, Mark weaves a compelling narrative. But we'll leave it till early next year to talk about Mark's narrative techniques. Tonight, let's look at something quite simple. This first week of Advent, our theme is wake up. You know neither the day nor the hour of the coming of the Son of Man. Now, this speaks to the surprise of Christ breaking into our world as a tiny child this Christmas. But it also speaks of Jesus' second coming at the end of time. But look at where this passage falls in Mark's narrative. It's at the end of the 13th chapter. Jesus has just foretold the end of time, and he's just about to go with his disciples to celebrate the Last Supper. He names four periods of relative dark, evening, midnight, cockcrow, and morning, warning us, may he not find you sleeping. And then in the next chapter, in the dark of night, Judas betrays Jesus while Jesus' closest disciples are asleep. And before cockcrow, Peter denies Jesus. Coincidence? I don't think so. So what do we do with this? At this time, in this season, when the country outside these doors is celebrating Christmas, but in here we're saying, wait, not yet, and enjoy the waiting. Perhaps our second reading can help. Paul wrote to the Corinthian Christian community when they were in a mess. They were saying, you know, since I'm saved as a Christian, I can do whatever I want. I'm saved. It doesn't matter. And so they had broken up into factions. Some were following Apollos. Some said, I follow Paul. Others said, I follow Christ. The rich were discriminating against the poor. And there's one guy in a chapter we don't read too often at Mass, chapter 5, a guy who said, you know, there's really nothing wrong with me sleeping with my father's wife. But before Paul gets into the specifics of speaking to the Corinthian Christians' sins, he says, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this season of waiting, in this season of dreaming about presence we will receive, let's take a moment to think of the spiritual gifts that we've already received. What are your gifts? What are your God-given talents. And now let's reflect on our deepest dreams. What do you truly desire? Could it be that God desires that same thing for you too? Just as the early Christians had it backwards when it came to understanding Matthew and Mark, Maybe we have our concept of Advent backwards. Perhaps we're trying to rush the kingdom of God in certain ways before God's timing. But perhaps we're also inhibiting the kingdom from breaking forth by not using the gifts God has already given us. You are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ.